Acts in chapter 2. You can stand for the reading of the word of the Lord this morning. We're going to read from Revelation chapter 2, verse number 18. I feel this passage pretty deeply in my spirit um, as I was preparing and studying this week. Felt that God really wanted to get this message across to us this morning, remind us of some things, and encourage us today. So if you would prepare your heart to receive from God, I think, and how do I do that? Well, the best way is just say, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to hear what you have to say. Speak to my heart this morning, Lord. Uh, that's the best way we can prepare ourselves to hear from God. And so we're going to read a passage from Revelation 18 to 29, and then we'll pray again and ask God to speak to us directly. Revelation 2 and 18 says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality, to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed. Those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. I will strike her children dead, and the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and the heart. I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, look at your neighbor and say to the rest of you, who do not hold this teaching, you have not learned what some call the deep teachings or the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay hold you on any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule with the rod of iron, as when the earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give them, give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Look at the person beside you and says, Jesus says some hard things. All right, let's just acknowledge that right off the hop, and let's pray and ask God to help us understand the hard things. God, we praise you. We thank you for your spirit. No doubt the, the gentle touch of your presence here this morning is here to touch, encourage, strengthen, and minister your word. Father, help me to preach and speak your word with, with, with the kind of authority and, and, and power that you want it to go forth. Let it go forth, O oh God, and minister to the hearts of every person here today. In Jesus' name, we bind everything that the enemy would try to do to distract your word and to infiltrate and interfere with what you want to do this morning. Let your will be done and let there be a manifestation of your presence, a demonstration of your spirit here today. Let it not just be word alone, God, but word and spirit, spirit and truth, grace and truth this morning. In the name of Jesus, we give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Before I get started, there is a video that will help set the tone and the backdrop to this letter. We've been dealing with uh, the letters to the churches of Asia in the book of Revelation. And Revelation is, is, a, it is a difficult book to understand. Just pause, yeah, if you want to cue it up. But 
just wait just a second. There's, it, it's a difficult book to understand. Um, the easiest way to do that is you'll have to close Easy Worship, just minimize it. If you minimize Easy Worship, you'll be able to see that video on the screen because it'll override the thing, yeah. So um, the, the seven letters to the churches of Asia are follow a specific pattern. Usually there is a, here's what you're doing well. You know, Jesus introduces himself. He says, this is who I am. This is what I am. This is my power, my authority. This is the station I have. I'm holding you. I'm, I'm protecting you. I'm shielding you. I'm your God. And, and here's what you're doing well. And here's what you need to improve on. And here's what will happen if you don't. And then sometimes a, a promise. Here's a promise for those of you that do. And this, this is kind of the pattern of each of the letters to the churches of Asia. We've covered the first three letters to the churches. And now we're, we're addressing the city of Thyatira. And so hopefully, is the, is the video going to work? Yeah? Okay. Let's watch that and it'll, it'll help you see what I'm about to say. This is the town of Thyatira. Or at least what's left of it, bunkered down into the bustling city of Akasar, Turkey. These are the remains and ruins of this town where the early church grew up. Originally, Thyatira was founded by Alexander the Great as a military garrison. Uh, his soldiers worshiped the god Apollo. He was their patron god. He was called the son of God. By the time the early church grew up in this town, in the first, second, and third centuries, it was a very prosperous town. Well, not like Pergamum or Ephesus or even Smyrna, those world-class cities. It was just kind of your average town. Maybe like the town you grew up in. But its major commodities were what drove the prosperity. Its lead commodity was textiles. In fact, the water here in Thyatira was so rich in minerals that no place else in the world could make a red textile so brilliant and so bold. Um, it was desired worldwide. In fact, interesting, Lydia, who met Paul and accepted Christ in Philippi and entertained Paul, Lydia was a seller of purple from Thyatira. Its bronzesmiths were famous. Its silversmiths made some of the best silver pieces in the world. Its pottery was coveted. And in this town, believers were commended by Jesus Christ. He opens his letter by saying, I know your works, your love, your service, your faithful endurance. And then he adds, and that the works you do today are better than the works you did before. This was a church on an upward trajectory. And that's remarkable, given the pressures that early Christians faced in this town. So here's what early Christians were up against. The entire social, industrial, religious structure of Thyatira was built around the guilds. Now, a guild was like a labor union. Uh, every single craft had its own guild. The textile people had a guild, the bronze smiths, the silversmiths. They all belonged to their own guild. Now, it just wasn't like a labor union. It was more than that. 
that was the heart of their social function, their religious function, as well as their work. And Thyatira was a closed shop town. Periodically, the guilds would uh, hold great festivals for all the members of their guild. The problem for Christians was that these festivals were held in the temple to Apollo, who was the patron of the guilds, as he was the patron to the military garrison that was here, Apollo, who was called the Son of God. So these grand guild festivities were held there. They would worship Apollo. They would eat and fellowship and often involved themselves in sexual immorality. So what's a Christian to do? Well, if you said, I'm not going, you risked the success of the guild because maybe Apollo would be angry with your particular kind of craft or function. So needless to say, the guild only had one option, and that was to expel you. <laughs> you lost your job. You know, in Pergamum, Christians faced the tremendous pressure of not worshiping in the temples and not worshiping the emperor, and perhaps for that would lose their lives. In Thyatira, they lost their jobs. It hit them where it hurts the most, right in the pocketbook. And every follower of Christ had to make a choice. It would be Jesus or his career. As we see, Thyatira was a city that was small, but it was not forgotten. It was insignificant by human standards, and there was a few, as he said, few trades that were notable and noted in that area, but the size of the, the area, the region, was relatively small. And what I love about reading this and, and studying this out and discovering these things about this particular city was that God isn't so much focused on size of an individual congregation or church or location, and while while it's not about how big a church is, it's about how effective it is in the kingdom. If you remember in the Old Testament when God called Noah to build an ark, the Bible doesn't record that Noah was successful in evangelizing his community. He preached for relatively 120 years and gained no converts, but he did the will of God and was commended of God, and the Bible said he found grace in the eyes of the Lord because he did the will of God for his generation. Thyatira is much in the same boat. They are doing the work and the will of God, and Jesus commends them. Jesus commends them for the work that they are doing. They're up against a serious cultural issue. It's nothing like it is today where there are multiplicities of religions and gods within a local city, and, and that's embraced, accepted, and, and okay. And not, no, nobody's really threatened by the fact that there is a, a mosque on one street and a church right across the road, or, or even a, a Hindu temple down the road. And that's not really that strange. You can actually drive within the city limits of Ajax and Pickering and find every one of those different places of worship. And it's not unusual. It's not strange, and it's not a threat. They, they aren't necessarily a threat to one another. But in this day, 
if you did not acknowledge the patron god of that city. Like he said, you were considered a threat because they believed the god would be angry with the city, would be angry with the particular trade, and, and would punish you consequently. As you heard, they were devoted to the worship of Apollo, the son of Zeus, i.e. the son of God. And it's interesting that Jesus would introduce himself to Thyatira like this, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God. What Jesus was establishing for them is, thank you, you've acknowledged who I am. Now remember, that is actually the truth. You're hearing from your community that there is another Son of God called Apollo. But I, I, I commend you. Uh, here's the words from the real Son of God. Here, here is the message from the true and living Son of God who has eyes like flame of fire. Jesus is the true Son of God, not Apollo, not the son of a lifeless idol. Uh, Apollo is a pitily, pathetic, pseudo-Son God, while Jesus is the eternal and majestic Son of God. Interestingly enough, Apollo's powers, so to speak, are much like Zeus, the ability to strike with lightning and fire. And, and, and Jesus says, that's nice, but I'm the real Son of God with eyes that see like a flame of fire. My feet are like burnished bronze. He sees everything. He's stable. He's not going anywhere. He's immovable. He's founded on, on truth, and, and he is the cornerstone of the church. Jesus is somebody that you can put your hang your hat on. He is someone that you can build your life on, build your hopes on, and follow the teachings of his word. We serve a living and a risen Savior. We serve a God who is not dead. We serve a God who is not in the grave. We serve a God who's not the figment of somebody's imagination. We serve a God who's not an idol made with hands, uh, not, not a, a, a carved out of wood or stone, but we serve a living and risen Jesus who is not dead but alive. He's not powerless but powerful. He sees the works we do. He says, I know your works, your love, your faith, your servants, your patient endurance, your love for God and for the church, your love for the lost and for your enemies. You want to learn about love, just read what the Bible has to say about love, and there's so much the Bible has to say. Faith, your faith, you, you don't give up easily. You're dedicated, you're consistent, you're committed to the word, you're committed to the truth of God. You're, you're committed to service. You're ministering to one another and to those in need. You endure persecution and tough times with grace and with determination. The church is not diminishing, but it's increasing. Jesus said, your, your works are greater than when you first began. Notice he didn't talk about the size of their group. He didn't speak about uh, how many people they had baptized that year or how many people had been filled with the Holy Ghost. And while those metrics are important and good, I think it's worth uh, uh, tracking them. And, and, and if there's a deficiency, sometimes those metrics seem to point something out and we can ask the why questions. We can go back to the drawing board, so to speak. But Jesus is concerned. You have to understand that, that if the church is healthy, it will grow. If your body is healthy, your body will grow. 
If your body is healthy, unhealthy, your body will deteriorate. It will be stunted. It will. It won't. It won't. It won't produce the way it's supposed to. It is the same with the church. If a church is internally healthy, if there is good health in the in the love department, is there? If there's health in the faith department of a church, if there's health in the serving one another department of the church, if there's health in the enduring difficult circumstances of a church, the church will automatically grow. A healthy church is a growing church. Jesus said, it's not the size of your congregation I commend, but it's it's the quality of your faith, the quality of your love, and your service to those around you. The commendation or praise comes as a surprise because it's in, it's, it seems to be in opposition to what Jesus then addresses then for the rest of the letter. And this kind of tells us that that the church was somewhat divided. There was a group that was consistent and faithful, but there was a group that was deteriorating, backsliding, if you will. This is really interesting because Jesus addresses people who are moving on regardless of what others do. Sometimes it's easy to compare ourselves among ourselves. I mean, the the onset of social media, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, you know, all, all, all the different platforms, TikTok, they, they have the tendency when, you, when you're done looking at it, you don't feel better about yourself. You, you begin to look at yourself differently in the mirror. You begin to think of yourself differently. Oh, I don't have the best job. Oh, I, I'm not making enough money. I, I wish I could go on a vacation like so-and-so. And, and we forget that, that Instagram is the highlight reel of somebody's life, Right? You know, like I, I, I've taken pictures of my kids smiling and then within 30 seconds they're screaming their face off and tears are, you know, like pooling at their feet. But I, I don't post the crying picture, I'll post the smiling picture. So other parents might look at my Instagram feed and say, man, his kids are always so happy. But they don't know the whole story. Right? I, 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 it's hard. We can compare ourselves among ourselves. And, and Jesus was commending the church that did not do this. Because while there was a group that was following the prophetess Jezebel, there was a group that was moving onward and upward. They weren't looking around to themselves and saying, well, the rest of the church is doing this, so it's not my fault. I guess I'm going to do it too. Nobody else is worshiping, so I guess I'm okay to just go through the motions. Everybody else is late for prayer and for worship, so it's no big deal if I'm late too. And this person is letting a standard slip, so it's all right if I let it go because, I mean, if it's okay for them to do it, it's okay for me to do it. And, and sometimes we can get lost in in the looking around and, and checking other bells. Well, I'll lift my hands if they lift their hands. And I'll, I'll, I'll pray out loud if they pray out loud. And, and we can get looking around and comparing ourselves among ourselves and forget who we're really after. Galatians 1 and 10 says, If I'm seeking the approval of man or of God, which one am I seeking? Am I trying to please man? Or am I trying to be a servant of Jesus Christ? Spiritual maturity is not marked by your ability to test yourself in light of everybody else. Spiritual maturity is, is the mark of being able to look at your life in com- 
contrast to the Word of God and saying, is my life a reflection of what the Scripture teaches? Am I an image of God in my generation? Am I salt in the earth or has the salt lost its savor? Am I living the way God wants me to live or am I living the way I think it's okay for a Christian to live based on what the rest of the church is doing? So Jesus addresses the backsliding half of the church. Now, I want to put a picture on the screen for you because when I read the word Jezebel, this is the image that comes into mind, okay? Because Jezebel is one of those iconic characters from the Old Testament. For those of you that don't know, Jezebel is a character pulled out of Israel's darkest time of life. Jezebel was the wife of King Ahab. He was one of the wickedest kings that ever lived in the history of Israel. She killed herself a large percentage of the prophets of God. If you profess to be a, a spokesperson for Jehovah, you had a death sentence on your head and Jezebel was going to see to it that you would be killed. And for the lack of prophets and priests that were in the nation, she hired 850 false prophets and put them in their place. She sought the life of the chief prophet, Elijah. She encouraged spiritual unfaithfulness. She used her seduction to her advantage. There's a few times in the Old Testament it talks about how she painted her face and she put on her attractive clothes and sat in the window of her palace to attract the attention of certain political figures that would be coming to visit the city. She manipulated her position with Ahab and manipulated the position within the community, getting people to lie about a certain man named Naboth who had the honor and decency not to sell his inheritance to the king. And she had Naboth killed by lying about him to others. She controlled the kingdom behind the scenes. Ahab was the king, but Jezebel was really in charge. Ahab was the head, but Jezebel was the neck and controlled it wherever Ahab looked and whatever Ahab did, it went through the tight-fisted reign of this wicked woman named Jezebel. Now, when you read the book of Revelation, you have to, you have to take in mind that Revelation is by and large a prophetic book which means there's lots of imagery in the book of Revelation. And you have to discern and you have to read it carefully to know when God is speaking literally and when he's speaking figuratively or with images to get a point across. When he gets to Jezebel, God is not speaking about a specific literal woman named Jezebel. No self-respecting Jew would ever name their daughter Jezebel. Never. It just would not happen. She was popular enough in the stories and the tales that, that if a parent named their child Jezebel, they were trying to send a message, and, and they were kind of twisted in the head, and no doubt that child would be teased and made fun of for the rest of their life. There's no way a self-respecting Jew would ever name their child Jezebel. They might go with something like Miriam, Mary. Mary was a common name. It was a Sarah was a, 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 you know, they would, they would, if they were going to honor someone of Israel's past, they would pick the heroines of Israel's past, not, not the enemies. 
Jezebel was a figurative name. And maybe the Lord was using this to protect the identity of an individual, I don't know. But he's using a picture to help get a message across. Now, this is the image I have of Jezebel. But this is not what the woman who was prophesying and pro proclaiming anything was actually saying. She didn't look like this. I don't, I don't believe she looked like this because if a, a woman like this walked into the, the first century church and said, I have a word from the Lord, they would have shown her the door. They would have told her to go put some other clothes on, put a veil on. They, they would have had a list of things. Before you can come and speak in the pulpit, here's a list of requirements. Let's see your spiritual pedigree. Let's talk. They wouldn't have just let anybody come to the pulpit and speak. So no doubt the woman who stood there to proclaim this message to the church didn't look anything like Jezebel. This is why God used the name Jezebel, because he was trying to show the church there is something behind what you see. What you see is someone who looks very respectable. What you see is a prophetess who, who ministers, perhaps with authority, and who's proven herself, but the spirit behind her is this woman, Jezebel. Now let's examine a little bit of what Jezebel taught. And, and I, I want you to keep that video that we saw in mind. Remember the, the guilds in, in Thyatira controlled everything. And, and, and the message of Thyatira was you worship Apollo and the various other gods that we worship. And, and if you're a part of the construction guild, then you come and you worship, uh, you know, it's, when it's construction celebration day. You come to the temple with all the other construction workers and you sacrifice a little meat to Apollo and you perform a little ceremony and then you enjoy the, the, the connections breakfast at, at the end of the ceremony, right? You know, it's the, uh, the networking time, right? The, uh, all, all of the IT people will come together a certain day and they'll get together at the temple of Apollo and they'll exchange numbers and business cards and talk about the latest software upgrades in the town of Thyatira and then they'll offer a little sacrifice to Apollo and they'll do a little dance and they'll have a little party and then they'll go and have their networking breakfast at the end of that. This is what was going on. And, and if you did not participate in this little ceremony, you avoid, you risked the, the severe penalty of being ejected from the workforce. The union, the labor union would have, would have uh, made it very difficult for you to get work. So Jezebel stands, this prophetess. The first, the first warning Jesus gives, he's Warning the church against personality ministries. Listen to this. She was a self-proclaimed prophetess. Verse 20 of Revelation 2, Jesus says, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is to teaching and seducing my servants to do all these various things. Jesus wants the church to be careful of those who are self-proclaimed prophets and prophetesses. Be careful of those who are self-proclaimed ministers of the gospel. Promotion is of the Lord. 
When we are following a personality ministry, we are on dangerous grounds. You see, the context and the reality of the, of the kingdom of God is that everybody in the kingdom is a priest and a king. When you get baptized in Jesus' name, when you are filled with the Spirit of God, when you become part of the church of the living Je- of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. There is a kingly quality to you, to everybody, and Jesus told all believers to go into all the world and to preach. Yes, I'm pastor, and yes, I'm preaching this morning, but if you're part of the kingdom of God, you have an obligation and a calling on your life to preach the gospel to every creature in every vicinity and everywhere you go it's the ministry of the church it's the church's responsibility to grow the church it's not the pastor's responsibility to grow the church it's the disciples ministry to make disciples there's a job to do and there's a place for everybody in the church every believer is a priest before God there isn't special people every believe Jesus said Believers should lay hands on the sick and they should recover. Not pastor, not elder, not deacon, not deaconess, not prophet, not prophetess. No, no, the gifts of the Spirit are available to everybody that is filled with the Spirit, that is walking in the Spirit, that is living in the Spirit. The gifts are available to the whole church. But promotion is of the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subjected to the elders. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so in the proper time He may exalt you, that He may bring you to the place where you need to be recognized. If you feel you have a ministry in the church, uh, I praise God for that. If you feel a calling on your life, I thank God for that. But your best place to start heart uh, is on your knees uh, in your bedroom uh, honing out that calling uh, and praying God give me revelation help me to see your word Uh, the second best thing for you to do is to take that calling to the street get yourself a bible study the best place for you to learn how to preach in a pulpit is across the table from somebody and teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ that's the best place to hone your craft as a preacher a prophet a minister uh, an evangelist a pastor pastor, a teacher, because it all starts with the reaching for the lost one-on-one. That's the best place to start. Seek to exalt God, and God will exalt you. John said of, of when, when he was uh, preaching about Jesus in his early ministries, he said, Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. This should be the modus operandi for every prophet, every minister, every pastor, every teacher, every saint of God. Jesus has got to increase and be made known and be made greater while I decrease and be made less. Also, a prophet or prophetess or a minister or pastor or teacher or anybody must preach the word. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, he said, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not proclaim to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Jesus warned the church in Thyatira, be careful with personality ministries. I remember as a young person, I, I, I would have certain favorite preachers. I would listen to them, and if they ever came into town and were at a camp meeting or something, I was there on the front row. I was excited to hear them preach. And the Lord had to deal with me. Because, it, you know, the problem was for me is I began to see them on some kind of pedestal that I could never reach. Oh, Look at them, they're so up there. They must have sacrificed so much. I don't think I could ever get there. I don't think I could ever reach that height. And what Jesus wanted me to see was I was no more qualified than they were. You are no more qualified than me. You might not be called. That might be the difference. The difference isn't in the qualification. The difference is in the calling. So find your calling. I believe in this church, every person that comes through the doors has a calling. You aren't here by accident. You aren't here by mistake. God has a calling on your life. You're here because you felt the pull and the tug and the call of God. Yes, your friend may have invited you. Yes, you may have found the church on the website. Yes, you may have heard about it from so-and-so and such-and-such. -and -such. But I believe that God has brought you into this seat today because there is a calling on your life. But what Jesus warned the church is to avoid compromise. Once you deal with the fact that it's not about personalities, it's about Jesus. Jesus is the personality, by the way. He, he, he is the person that we ought to be following. He is the person that we ought to be emulating. We ought to follow Jesus. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul was putting a little caveat on there. The day I stop following Christ, stop following me. The day I stop following Jesus, you can't trust me anymore because you can only follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. Can we stop for a moment and pray? I believe God wants to speak to our hearts, and sometimes we need to just pray and open ourselves up back to him again. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray a, a flow of your spirit that every resistance and hindrance will be broken now in the name of Jesus. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Speak to our hearts this morning. Let your spirit move. Let your spirit touch and touch our hearts and touch our lives. Would you lift your hands and just begin to worship the Lord? Would you just begin to tell him how much you love him this morning? Jesus, we worship you. We praise you. We exalt you. We lift you up, Lord, and surrender to you, God. We surrender ourselves to you, Lord, with the raising of our hands. We say, God, would you have your way in my life? Would you have your way in my heart today? In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we praise you, Lord. The message this prophetess was preaching, again, when I realized this, it, it made so much more sense to me. But I was, I was really struggling with what was the church doing letting someone looking like Jezebel get up there preaching? What was, someone, what was the church thinking letting Jezebel, this woman of, uh, of ill repute, one, one who was seducing people? You know, Jezebel was a bad, she was bad, man. She was really bad. She was murdering people and seducing them to do all kinds of crazy things. You know, she was involved in the occult and 
witchcraft and just, man, she was, she was a bad dude. She, dudette. Yeah, she was a bad dudette. What was the church doing? And then I realized this, is, this was the spirit behind the one speaking. That's why we need to be discerning the spirits. We need the gift of the discerning of spirits to be able to discern, is this of God? Is God at work here? Is God working in my life? Is God working through this individual? Because what they preached, what the prophetess preached was, hey guys, it's getting really hard out there. I believe this is how her message. It's getting really hard for you to make a living. Look at your kids. They're, they're going hungry because you can't work. You can't find work because you're a Christian and you're not able to go to the temple. And you know what? Why don't you go this time? Now, when you go, be careful. Don't, don't get too involved. But it's okay to go to the temple and, you know, you're not really offering to... Apollo doesn't really exist. So if it's harmless. You're trying to feed your family. You're trying to keep your job. So let go a little bit on the standards here, church. Why don't we, this week, instead of, instead of saying, no, I'm not going to the, the Builder's Guild construction feast at the Temple of Apollo, why don't you go this week and just, you know, carelessly offer something and pretend, you know, you got to feed your family. God doesn't want you to go hungry. God doesn't want you to starve. It's okay, and she might, they might not have said it like this, but it's okay to compromise a little bit. It's okay to, you're not really, you still come to church and you still pay your tithes and your offering and you still worship and you still, you still pray and you still uh, teach Bible studies. That, you know, you've got you've to be a little bit like the world to win the world, right? You've got you to let down just a little bit to invite them in. But this kind of preaching, Jesus looked at it and said, this is the same spirit that motivated Jezebel in the Old Testament, to persecute the preaching of the word. She reduced it to nothing. Jesus said it in Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about the body, what, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Now I believe as a Christian, you can go into your workplace and you can do almost everything your employer's asking of you to do. But there comes a time where what they may ask you to do crosses an, a, a line in your faith with Jesus Christ. It crosses a line in your walk with God. And you've got to make a decision at that moment. Am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to do the easy thing? Am I going to follow what the world is telling me to do? Am I going to be okay with what the world is saying is okay? Or am I going to follow the word of God? Now, I'm not saying you need to be obnoxious. Don't go into your workplace and make a stink about everything. Sometimes people are persecuted not for the truth, they're persecuted for their personality, right? There's a difference between being persecuted because you're obnoxious about your faith and being persecuted because you have real faith. There's a difference, okay? So, so you always speak the truth in love. You can say something and be kind about it. You don't have to get, you know, all huffy and puffy about how the world is not treating you the way you ought to be treated. No, don't expect the world to to follow the word of God. 
Quit, quit expecting the world to have godly values and godly principles. Quit expecting the world to see things the way the scripture outlines them. Accept them for who they are and love them for who they are and pray for them and try to reach them. But don't be obnoxious about it. So I'm not, I'm not preaching that Christians should go into their workplace and, and become the, the, the Bible thumping, you know, just railing on everybody. And No, 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 no. That's not the love of God. But there may come a time in your life, and it may not be at your work, it may be with your family, where they put pressure on you. Why are you going to church so much? Why are you dressing this way? Why are you acting this way? Why, 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 do, you, why do you do this? Why do you do that? And there's a pressure there to, to compromise. But if it's in the Word of God, you can rest assured that if you, if you take a stand for what God's Word is teaching and preaching, God will take care of your needs. Jesus promised His disciples, He says, the Gentiles seek after all these things in verse 31. What shall we eat? What shall we wear? What shall we put on? How are we going to get dressed? How are we going to live? How are we going to survive? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If you put God's first and you take care of God's business, God will take care of your business. If you put God first in your home, if you put God first in your life, you won't be disappointed. God will make everything work out in the end. God makes everything work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Thyatira was tempted. So Jesus said, hold tightly to what you have until I come. Hold tightly. Hold on to holiness and separation from the world and practice it without compromise. Hold on tightly. Holiness is not meant to isolate you from the world, but to insulate you in the world. Bearing the fruit of the Spirit is not the worldly norm. It's not the worldly norm to be meek and to be gentle and to be kind and long-suffering and patient and good and faithful and consistent. But these fruits, when you bear them, they, they mark you. They set you apart. They, they separate you from the rest. And people will eventually begin to take notice and say, what is so different about you. They treated you this way, but you forgave them. They talked about you, but you were kind with them. You maybe have, and I'm not saying you need to be a doormat. You can stand up for yourself in a kind way. You can be assertive and have boundaries in a kind and Christian-like manner. And, and all of that is holiness. You dress modestly and you act right. You act in a way that's pleasing to God. You're not given to, to sexual immorality. You're not given into the things of the world. Holiness doesn't isolate you. It insulates you. It protects what you have and allows you to be effective in reaching somebody. It insulates you and it allows you to adapt people and bring them into the kingdom of God. See, the apostolic church is not meant to go into the world and become part of the world. We are to go into the world and be a transforming agent. That's why Jesus called his church salt. Salt changes the flavor of whatever it's added to. It's versatile. You can add salt to your oatmeal, it'll make your oatmeal taste better. You can add salt to your meat, it'll make meat taste better. You add salt to your coffee, and it'll make your coffee taste better. Now, if you have high blood pressure, you can't do that, right? So you've got you to gotta be careful. 
but, but salt changes everything it touches. It enhances and improves. That should be you. When you're the church, you should be dropped into any location, in any job, in any setting, and improve the atmosphere. You should go into your workplace and under your breath say, Lord, in Jesus' name, I bless this workplace. I bless the coming in and going out of every individual, every employee. I, I bless my boss. I bless my coworkers. I bless the people that are coming into this building and the people that leave. Let them be better for coming here simply because you have placed me here and your spirit is with me and you want me to be salt and light in this world. Light never is overcome by darkness but always overcomes darkness. When you go into a dark room, the only reason that room is dark is because the light isn't on. So you flip on the light switch and the room changes. That's a Christian. That is a follower of Christ. When you walk into the building, it should change the atmosphere. There should be a transformation of what goes on in the spirit world wherever you go because you are salt and light wherever you go. You're not molded and shaped and conformed to this world, but you're transformed into the image that God wants you to reflect. You can be different and not divisive. You can be different from the rest of the world and not be divisive in your attitude and your spirit. It's possible for you to be separate and yet gentle and kind. So Jesus called his church. He said, hold on to what you have. And I'm going to close with this last piece, Sister Bryson, if you come. Hebrews 10. Paul said it like this, or the writer of Hebrews said, let's hold tightly without wavering the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promises. I felt today while we were singing but sometimes there is a, a struggle to trust God to fulfill his promises. And guess what? If that's where you're at today, thank you for coming to church anyway. Thank you for pushing yourself to do what you knew was right, even if you didn't feel like doing it. Because sometimes we can face something that we feel like is never going to change. And it causes us to question our faith in God, question our, our confidence in God. But I'm here to let you know this morning, you can hold on tightly to his unchanging hand because God can be trusted to keep his promises. You may be in the hallway, not yet in the room God wants you. And you may be in a place of transition going from one to the other. It's like you're in the car of the parking lot of where God wants you to be. And you have to get out of the car and walk towards the building. And you, as you, the closer you get to the building, where is where God wants you to be, the door is closed. And the door remains closed. And the closer you get, the door doesn't open. The door is still closed. You still get within 20 yards of the building and the door remains closed. It's still shut and you keep asking yourself, what am I doing? Why am I going? The door is closed. I can see it's closed. I don't know what I'm doing. But the closer you get, you get within a certain distance of the door. And just like the automatic doors at a shopping mall, you get within a few meters of that door and shoot, the door is open. Sometimes you got to walk by faith when the door looks like it's closed and you keep walking. You say, I know I'm supposed to be here. I see the sign on the building. It's the grocery store. I, I need food. I'm gone. This is the, but the door is closed. 
So none of you have this conversation with yourself when you get to the grocery store. Because you know, if I get so close to the door, the door is going to open automatically. And sometimes that's what it's like in following God. You hold tightly to his promises. And you don't know exactly where he's leading you. But you know you're in the right place. You know you're going in the right direction. And you might not even know what's all going to be on the inside of that place. But at, you get to a certain point in your walk with God. And all of a sudden, shh, the doors are going to open. And you can walk into where God wants you to be because you can trust God to keep his promises. For those of you that didn't know, that was a word of prophecy. That is not in my notes. A biblical definition of prophecy is when God speaks by an unction and by his spirit that aligns with his word. It declares his will into your life. I don't know who that was for, but that was a word of prophecy to someone. You are in a place of transition, a place of walking. God knows where you're at, and when you get to where he, if you follow him, if you stay with him, and you have to hold on to him tightly, don't let go of his word. Don't compromise on his word. Don't compromise it. Jezebel wanted the church to compromise because it would be easier. Things may be easier for you. Don't compromise on what you believe and what you find in the Word of God. You hold on tightly to that. But sometimes it's hard to hold on tightly. So Paul gives you something to help you, and we're going to stand and do it now. If you'd stand with me. He said, let us think of ways to motivate one another. FYI, you cannot do it alone. Do not neglect, he said, verse 25, the meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his turn return is drawing near. What is Paul saying? What was Jesus saying to the church in Thyatira? Stay tight to the word of God, but stay tight to each other. You need to hold on to the word, but you need a body to be part of. If your hand gets cut, you don't cut your hand off, put it in a drawer with a book on anatomy and healing to get healed. You keep your hand attached to the body, and the body will heal the hand. So if you're wounded in your spirit, you don't cut yourself off from the church and go into your room and read the Bible and pray and cry. You get connected to the body and let the body minister healing to you. We're going to do that this morning, if you're comfortable. If you're not, you can stand there. It's no big deal. It's no problem. But if you're dealing with something, and you, you maybe you're not dealing with something, but you, you feel the spirit moving, you want to pray with somebody, would you reach across to the person next to you, ask them if it's okay, put your hand on their shoulder, grab them by the hand, and let's minister to one another in prayer for just a few moments. God wants to minister healing this morning. God wants to encourage somebody to hold on and not let go. God wants to help you through the struggle. God wants to help you through the difficulty. God wants to bring healing to your situation this morning. You can hold tightly without wavering, without being worried or afraid. Uh, 
Don't neglect the meeting together as such is, but encourage one another in the Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray healing and encouragement now in the name of Jesus uh, on the people that are gathered here today under the sound of my voice. Uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak healing and deliverance now in Jesus' name. I pray, God, that your presence would fill the empty places of our heart, uh, that you would fill up the lonely areas, God. Help us to hold fast uh, onto the word of life. Uh, help us to hold fast to the promises of God. Uh, we can trust you, Lord. You're not going to fulfill. You're going to fulfill your promises uh, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Yes, God. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your promises, Lord. We thank you for your promises today, God. You're a God who never fails. You don't fail, but you keep your promises, every single one. Every one you've kept, Lord, you've never failed once. You're leading, you're directing, you're guiding. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I encourage my brother, I encourage my sister, I encourage this person I'm praying with today. In the name of Jesus, uh, I speak the, the, the peace of God over their mind, over their heart. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your touch. Lord, we worship you today. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We worship you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, it's through it all I've learned to trust in Jesus oh, I've learned to trust in God Oh, through it all Yes, through it all I've learned to depend upon His Word Oh, and through it all, oh, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus, I've learned to trust in God, through it all, oh, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. So we sing through it all. I thank you, Jesus. Through it all, I praise you, Lord. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Oh, through it all. Yes, through In Jesus' name, Lord, I pray a blessing over every person here today. In Jesus' name, Lord, let your peace rest on their home, on their coming and their going. Visit them, Lord Jesus, this week. Visit with them as they pray, as they talk to you, as they commune with you, God. Let their pre your presence be real in their home. 
Let it not just be something we experience here, but let us take it home with us, God, in the name of Jesus. Bless their coming and their going. Whatever they put their hand to, God, put a blessing on it this week for your glory so that you can get the honor. In Jesus' name, lead and direct and reveal yourself to us, God. We surrender to you in Jesus' name. God bless you today. Greet one another.